Welcome. Thank you all for coming. Good to see you all this morning. It's a, it's a nice Sunday morning. Welcome also to those who are listening to our service and those who will be watching our service. We're glad also that you have joined us. Often when tragic events happen, we, we wonder why. We wonder why things happen as they do. This year seems to be a record year for wildfires 
And we've heard of the devastation that's happened in Hawaii, where a number of homes and businesses have been reduced to ashes, and a number of people have lost their lives, people who couldn't flee the fire on time. Here in Canada, we've had also and continue to have a number of wildfires and communities have been evacuated and uh, because the, the fires were coming too close uh, for the resident safety. And then closer to home, it seems like in our community, we've had a number of people recently who passed away who we would consider younger people, younger in age. And we wonder why these things happen. And we don't have answers for the why questions. In the Bible, we find passages like Psalm 139 that give us assurance uh, that God is in control over all things. He knows all things, knows all about us. He's with us at all times. I used some verses from this chapter the last time I was up here, and, but I thought that they're appropriate when we think of people going through difficult times. So I thought I would um, read a few verses again from Psalm 139 as an opening. So I'll read the first 16 verses. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. Lord, you are all-powerful. You are the God who made us. You love us, and you care for us. 
Nothing can separate us from your love and nothing can separate us from your presence. Lord, wherever we are, you are there also and we thank you for that. Father, we don't understand why some things happen as they do, but we know that nothing is a surprise to you. You are the great and mighty God and all things are in your control. So Father, we want to trust you for the plan that you have for each one of us and we ask for your help that our faith would not waver when challenges come our way. So Father, we thank you for this day, for another Sunday where we have the privilege to come together to worship you. And so God, we thank you for being here with us. May all that is said and done be to your honor and glory. Amen. Ask Heather to lead us in another song. Uh, this next song, uh, I think I introduced the last time I was up a couple weeks ago, so it's still a little bit new, I know that, but I hope that uh, it's familiar enough that we can sing it together. Uh, we'll repeat verse 1. Sing the song forever to the 
Um, I'll just mention now the scripture reader this morning is not the person listed in your bulletin. Eileen was not able to be here this morning, so Nathaniel Fraze will be reading scripture. And our missionaries of the week are Don and Shar. And I messaged with Don a couple of days ago, and he said that uh, Don and Shar, together with her son Zane, are planning to return on October the 5th. So let's uh, remember them as they get ready for that. And Don also asked that we would pray for wisdom with all the details of leaving. Uh, we have some staff announcements. Uh, John Dick taking a few days off. Edwin is back from surgery. Pastor Dean is back from vacation. Uh, church council members, uh, a reminder that we have a meeting coming up on Tuesday and uh, upcoming deacon nominations. So that's going to be held in September. So you can already begin to think about that and think about some names that you, you might like to, uh, to submit. Uh, Salem, there's uh, some information and a request from them. So please read that. Uh, there is a nation to nation newsletter posted on the bulletin board and if you've forgotten, Nation to Nation is the mission organization that Kevin and Julia Garrett have, have begun. They work along the border of uh, Thailand and Myanmar. So if you get a chance, please read that newsletter. And uh, persons with health needs in uh, Boundary Trails, we have Carolyn Ham and Mary Cron, uh, Corny Thiessen, uh, has been able to go home, so he's back in the villages at uh, Buller. In Notre Dame, we have Dave Weeb, Mary Duick, and John Suderman are in Swan Lake Hospital. 
and uh, Abe Friesen has been moved to the Manitou Care Home. So let's remember each of these and their families. Ushers, if you're ready, I'll call you forward. There's a long list of birthdays and announcements, or anniversaries, I mean. Uh, in the bulletin, uh, we didn't have a bulletin last Sunday because of Harvest Festival. So we have an extra long list today. So there's a lot of celebrations that have happened and will be happening. So that's a great thing. Let's pray together. Our God, as we have sung this morning, our sins, they are many, your mercy is more. And Lord, you are a holy God, you are a merciful God, you are a patient God. No matter how many times we sin, you don't count our sins against us if we confess them to you. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that because of what Jesus has done for us by, by dying on the cross, in our place, that our sins are forgiven. Father, we bring before you those who have health needs, and we pray for those we have already mentioned who are in the hospital. We pray, Father, that they would sense your presence, that you would fill them with your peace. And Lord, for those who are experiencing pain, that you would relieve them of their pain. God, we thank you for the good hospitals and care homes that we have in our area and for the caring staff who look after us when we need their help. Father, we ask also your hand of healing on those who are at home and are dealing with a health issue and you know who they are, you know their needs, and we ask, Lord, that you would meet those needs. We uh, pray, Father, and thank you for our missionaries, some of whom leave the comforts of home to go out and serve in other parts of the world and often in difficult circumstances. Today, Lord, we pray for Don and Char and their family, we thank you for the time they've been able to be here this summer. And Lord, as Don and Char and Zane prepare to leave in early October, we ask for wisdom for them with all the details of leaving and help them, Father, to make good decisions in their preparations. And this to the audience, I'm gonna pray for a couple of things that I, f I forgot to announce, so I will, I'll give more details there. But. Father, we pray for Rod Suderman in BC. Our wish and our prayer, Lord, for him is for healing for Rod. We know that all things are possible with you. But Lord, we know that you have numbered each of our days and whatever your plan is for Rod, we pray that you would fill Rod and Kathy and their children, Rod's mom Viola and other family members with your peace during this time. Father, also for the family of Dorothy Hebert, we pray for, for them and just ask that you would help them and comfort them as they make preparations for a funeral. So Lord, now as we give our offerings, we thank you for material blessings that we have from you. 
May our offerings be used to further your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So yes, I just forgot to mention two things when I made the announcements. Uh, Viola Suderman is requesting prayer for her son Rod of Surrey, BC. Uh, Rod is uh, dealing with cancer and Rod has been moved to hospice care. So that's uh, like palliative care. Many of us know Rod and Kathy, or Rod and his wife Kathy. So let's remember uh, them and, and Viola during this time. Also, um, Dorothy Hebert passed away early Friday morning, and her funeral is scheduled for Friday at 2 o'clock here in our church. So sorry for, get, for forgetting to mention that before. So after the offering, then Nathaniel, you can come up for scripture reading. Before I do scripture reading this morning, I would just like to thank you all for your prayers and support. I was at Winkler Bible Camp for two weeks, last week and the week before. It was an amazing time. I would definitely recommend it to all of you. Um, today's scripture reading is Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, 
Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were, you were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Thank you, Nathaniel. Um, Wendy and I had a little laugh uh, shortly after she printed the bulletin. I was looking at it and I said, oh. <laughs> and she had put in the bulletin um, the title that you see there, which is what she thought she heard, and I thought I had said, uh, we serve a holy God. So we had a little laugh about that. <clears throat> Sometimes we don't always hear what's being told us, right? So this morning I want to talk about God's holiness. And as I was well into my preparation, I, I for some reason, looked back on into uh, other sermons to see uh, if I had covered this before. And it turns out two years ago I preached on this very thing. So, uh, if you remember it, <laughs> then uh, it's still going to be different because I'm actually using different texts to talk about the holiness of God today. There's lots that the scripture has to say. So the holiness of God, are we aware of it? Is it something we think about when we come to him? Does it shape our posture before him? There's a little saying that goes, familiarity breeds contempt. And what, what that means is that when you get to, to know someone and you learn uh, you learn that person's peculiarities or weaknesses or faults. Um, the high regard that you, you may have had at one time tends to slip into contempt. And contempt is actually quite a strong word. It means to despise and so on. Uh, but I think you get the meaning of that. The, the more you know something, the more likely you are not to revere it but have contempt. But it may not even be that the other person has any faults. It's just that our familiarity allows us to take that person for granted. We expect things of that person that we shouldn't necessarily expect. And I think that is how we as Christians sometimes experience our familiarity with God. We are so familiar with him and with his ways that we forget that he is holy. Well, what is holiness? What does it mean that God is holy? <clears throat> and what does it look like when a holy God is with his people? But to answer these questions, I want to look at God's presence with his people in ancient Israel. God, of course, is not seen. So what was the symbol of God's presence with his people? I think we could say that it was the Ark of the Covenant that the ark that God instructed uh, Moses to build is that representation of God's presence. And that ark was put in a special place. <clears throat> the tabernacle was constructed so as to create a sense of holiness, 
around the ark and an atmosphere of worship. And there was a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And according to Hebrews, the priests would enter the holy place to perform their regular duties, but only the high priest would go into the most holy place, and only once a year, and not without blood, which he would offer for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. From that picture, the concept of holiness implies a sense of unapproachability, right? God is a little bit distant, or he's, it's, he's hard, to, it's hard to approach in, in one sense. When Israel entered the Promised Land, <clears throat> they would take the Ark of the Lord into battle. According to the Lord's instruction, they went up against Jericho with the Ark of the Covenant in their procession. And after the land of Canaan was brought under Israel's control, Joshua 18.1 says, Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. If you can remember uh, where Jerusalem is, Shiloh is straight north. Uh, I just don't know how far. But it's uh, probably halfway, at least halfway to the Sea of Galilee from Jerusalem. And as I understand it, the tabernacle remained at Shiloh for around 400 years. And the ark, uh, that, and the, the ark would have been in that tabernacle as God's presence with his people. When we went to Israel in 2020, we were at that place that they believe the, where the tabernacle stood. There's a, it's just a, a bald bit of, it's like a, a level plain in a place that isn't level. And it looks like that's where the, where the temple stood. And apparently the ark was there longer than it was in the temple when they finally built the temple. Well, a number of years later, after they had established, uh, put the uh, temple there, the tabernacle, sorry, uh, then there was a civil war. And Israel was at war with Benjamin because Benjamin sinned. Uh, you might recall the story at the end of Judges about the horrible treatment of one man's concubine. And uh, so it was out of that that Israel came against Benjamin. And even there, Israel inquired of, the, uh, inquired of the Lord because the ark was with them. They took the ark with them to their battlefront. And I suppose they wanted the ark with them in battle because they wanted God to fight for them and to help them. Well, near the end of the period of the judges, which is about 300 years after they entered the land, Eli was priest at Shiloh, where the tent of meeting was and the ark was. Samuel was yet young, and Israel was again in battle against the Philistines. <clears throat> Israel had just experienced a loss in battle and decided to bring the ark of the Lord uh, into the, in, uh, to the battlefront from Shiloh. So let me read for you what happened. I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 5. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. 
And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A god has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Well, as it turned out, the Philistines defeated Israel and captured the ark. The Philistines then took their prize to the city of Ashdod and put the ark in the temple of their god, Dagon. And in the morning, the Philistines found Dagon fallen in front of the ark, face down. So they put, it, put that idol back in its place. The next morning, the idol had fallen down again, except this time the hands and head were cut off. Then the Lord terrified and afflicted the people of Ashdod with tumors. They eventually sent the ark to another Philistine city, city of Gath. And there the hand of God was heavy against the people of Gath. There was great panic. And they too, young and old, were afflicted with tumors. So the ark of the Lord was sent to Ekron, another Philistine city. And a deathly panic consumed the whole city because the hand of God was heavy there also. The Ark of the Covenant was among the Philistines for seven months. Eventually, the lords of the Philistines called on their priests and diviners, and they suggested that they send the Ark back to Israel with a guilt offering of gold. And they set the gold in a box beside the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart pulled by two milking cows that had never been yoked. The Philistine priests and diviners said that if the oxen took the Ark of the Lord back to uh, Israel's homeland, to the region of Beth Shemesh, then it was the God of Israel that did them harm. But if not, then it was just coincidence. So, who knows where those oxen went? (laughs) They went not to the right and not to the left. They went straight to Beth Shemesh. And then the Philistines went home. When the people of Beth Shemesh saw that the Ark of the Lord had been returned, they rejoiced. They split the wood of the Ark and they offered, slaughtered those cows and offered them up as a burnt offering. And there was great celebration because the symbol of God's presence was again with his people. But then something quite unexpected happened. In 1 Samuel 6, 19 and 20, we read this. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. Other translations say they looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Well, what kind of a mind asks a question like that? Rather than perceive the death of those men as a curse, they recognized that God is pure in holiness and that it was they themselves who had no hope of enduring 
in his presence because of their unholiness. It is a humble mind that asks, the quest, asks a question like that. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And the next question reveals their understanding that God is their God and no one else's. They asked, and to whom shall he go up away from us? It was God who made the covenant with Israel, and Israel was called his treasured possession and the apple of his eye. God was Israel's God by covenant, so there was no escaping this God before whom they could not stand. So the men of Beth Shemesh sent word to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, about eight kilometers northeast, that the ark of the Lord had been returned, and they should come and get it. <laughs> and they did. The ark of the Lord stayed at Kiriath-Jerim in the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated Eliezer, his son, to have charge of it, and it stayed there for some 20 years. And all this took place during the years of Samuel the prophet. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. But when he became old, the people of Israel asked for a king like the nations around them. And the Lord permitted it, and he chose Saul, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, to be king over the people of Israel. At one point, Saul was doing battle against the Philistines, and the ark again went with the people of Israel. So it seems that after the 20 years in Kiriath-Jerim, the ark traveled with the king in his military pursuits, at least on some occasions. The next time we read about the ark of the covenant is after David succeeded Saul as king. Saul was king, I think, for about 40 years, if I have that right. So it's sometime later. Shortly after David was made king of all Israel, he was first king for seven years in Hebron, uh, over Judah, and then he was made king over all Israel after that. So after he was made king over all Israel, he sought to have the ark brought to Jerusalem. <clears throat> and here I'm reading from, uh, where am I reading from? Second Samuel, chapter 6, verse 2. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah. That's another name for Kiriath-Jerim to bring up the ark of God. They carried the ark on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals, and when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How could the ark of the Lord come to me? Isn't that interesting? That's basically the same question that was asked of the men of Beth Shemesh. 
when the 70 men died there. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And those who bore the ark of the Lord, had, when they had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened uh, animal. Verse 15, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the horn. Verse 17, and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And that's where the ark then sat until David's son built a temple. <clears throat> Solomon's temple, the first one. So why have I told you this story? I think there are several things that we can observe uh, from it about the holiness of God. The, number one, the Ark of the Covenant was with the people as a representation of God. It was precious to Israel. They rejoiced to have it among them, but they also held it in fearful esteem. Number two, we notice that when the ark was among the enemies of God, that it brought nothing to them but curse. Number three, when we saw that it was in the home of Obed-Edom, of the people of Israel, it was a blessing to the whole household. This seems to suggest that when the ark is with God's people, they will be blessed. But number four, we also noticed that when God's people looked upon the ark or into it or touched it, they were struck dead. What does that say? Did the men of Beth Shemesh sin by looking upon the ark? Did Uzzah sin by his impulsive action to reach out and steady the ark? I think the point, let me say, I don't think the point here is specifically that action that they took. I think the point here is that we are sinful by nature. That anything that is unholy cannot come to the holy. Anyone who is not holy like God is holy cannot approach him or see him and live. And why is that? What do we need to understand about God's holiness? The Hebrew word translated holy is defined this way, pure, clean, free from defilement of crimes, idolatry, and other unclean and profane things. So if you have trouble understanding the word holy, we don't use it that much, Think pure, clean, free from defilement. So let's look at a few examples that we understand. Uh, 
I didn't ask my dad for permission to tell this little story, but I'm sure he'll forgive me. When my dad and his brother were boys, they went up to the hayloft to play one day. It was spring, and on the floor of the hayloft, there were two piles of seed grain. And when they were done playing, <laughs> there was only one pile. <laughs> well, Grandpa had to go and buy fresh seed. Purity is important, right? It's important to keep things separate and clean so that you can use them. That's one example of purity. People who engage in sexual activity before or outside of marriage bind themselves to another person in a very intimate way. They perform the act of making themselves one. Well, what do you think that does to a marriage? If you bind yourself to another person other than the one to whom you are married, you create a mess you cannot undo. You have created real bonds with people that do not belong to you. How is that supposed to work? Purity is important. I don't know much about making wine, but I am told that it is very important to guard against the contamination of the wine in, in the process. If any impurity is introduced during that fermentation process, you will not have wine, but vinegar. Purity is important. A little speck of impurity and the whole batch is lost. Sin is the impurity that taints us to the core. And by that example, I guess, uh, unless, it, unless that problem is solved, uh, the whole person is lost. And all of, all of humanity is tainted. So imagine now if the pure object is not wine or seed grain, imagine that the pure object is a person. What would that person have to do to remain pure? Wouldn't he have to keep impur impurities away at all costs? Or else that person would become impure. And why is that important? Well, if the sinless son of man had committed just one sin, he would have become exactly like us with no exceptions. Sinful like us, guilty like us. He would have been unable to save us from our sin. And he would have tainted his character and the very essence of his being. He would not even have been able to save himself because he would have no power over death. Everything unholy must die in the presence of holiness, lest holiness become tainted and unholy, no longer pure no longer clean, no longer free from defilement. Even Moses, the only person with whom God spoke face to face, 
the man whose face shone when he had been in the presence of the Lord and the one whom God had instructed to build the ark. This Moses was denied entry into the promised land because he hit a rock twice instead of speaking to it as he was told. And because of that incident, God said to him, Go up this mountain and die and be gathered to your people because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Mariba Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. Moses did not treat God as holy and it cost him the one thing he was so longing to see. God's holiness is an uncompromising holiness. And it has to be, or God is no God at all. So what were those three questions we asked at the start? What is holiness? Think pure, clean, free from defilement. What does it mean that God is holy? It means that he's unapproachable by anyone who is unholy. And what does it look like when a holy God is with his people? It means that there needs to be a means of isolation of the holy among the unholy so that they do not die. Well, we're all quite aware that we have sinned, and of ourselves, we are not holy. The prophet Isaiah said it well, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And the day of the Lord is coming, as we were assured when we were uh, in Second Peter. Malachi prophesied, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. None of us, no person ever, has been able to approach God. Even to Moses, the man to whom God was closest, God said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Yet just like ancient Israel, we want God with us in battle. We want his presence among us. We want him to fight our battles and to save us from the enemy. And so we are left to ask the same question as the men of Beth Shemesh. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? We're his people. But we are not ancient Israel. The difference between ancient Israel and God's people today is that God, uh, sorry, that is that Jesus has come. In him, we are able to approach the Father. The veil of the temple has been torn open. The sin that pollutes us has been washed away by the blood of Christ for all who believe him and the isolation 
of the holy among the unholy is no longer required because we are declared holy. Peter wrote, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's worth celebrating. If anybody is inclined to say amen or hallelujah, this would be a good time to do it. <laughs> the challenge for us is that, our, is that our familiarity with God, with his grace, with his goodness, with his mercy, is that we take him for granted without giving much thought to his uncompromising holiness, before which we would be otherwise consumed. We are not accustomed to approaching God with the fear and the respect that his holiness requires. We are not afraid to come to our, before our Father in heaven. We are not afraid to approach the throne of grace. So how do we refresh our respect for a holy God? How do we rekindle a righteous and holy fear of God whose holiness does not waver? I hope we can all agree that the saying, familiarity beats contempt, conjures up a fear of ever holding God in contempt. And yet, that is exactly what we do when we sin. We hold him in contempt. I give you the words of Paul. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, and here's the application. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Yes, Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, the sins we've committed, but we must cleanse ourselves from doing the things that make us dirty. God wants us simply to walk like him. What are the things that dirty your mind? What are the things that pollute your body? What are the things that stain your soul? Determine not to do those things and then be strategic Think about it. How can I avoid them? Make a plan. I can't help but think of Joshua's conversation with the people of Israel. This is from uh, Joshua 24 at verse 14. He said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. Again, we operate from the standpoint that Jesus has come. Our sin is forgiven. The battle is won. Jesus is Lord. Salvation is sure. But we still need to live out our faith until he returns. How will we revere his holiness in our living? God said to his people, be holy, for I am holy. We revere him like him. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, You are God, and there is no other. You are holy, and apart from the blood of Christ, unapproachable. And we want to recognize that. We want to give you the respect and the honor and the reverence that is due your name. And sometimes we hardly know how to do that. And often we find ourselves weak in the will to do it. So Father, we commit ourselves afresh. No, we will walk, we will worship the living God. We will walk in his ways. And so Father, we pray that you would help us to that end. Help us to be holy because you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen. The last song that we'll sing this morning is The Goodness of God. We'll sing it through 
and then uh, Pastor Victor will come up and give the benediction and then we'll sing the chorus one more time. Receive this blessing and this benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Now he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, 
whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion.